I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is attorney and author Bill Eddy. His new book is Calming Upset People with EAR, How Statements Showing Empathy, Attention, and Respect Can Quickly Diffuse a Conflict. The level of stress and conflict in today's world is higher than seen in decades. We all can use tools for managing the emotions this has caused. At the same time, there are also appears to be more high-conflict people who are preoccupied with blaming others and verbally venting or attacking those around them. Utilizing a proven method for diffusing antagonistic interactions, Bill Eddy shows readers how to address a variety of potentially contentious situations, including family conflicts, workplace disputes, neighbor and stranger confrontations, emotional political discussions, and circumstances involving angry customers, clients, and patients. Uh, in addition to, he has authored over 20 books and has also writes a popular blog um, on Psychology Today. He has over 5 million views and is the co-founder of High Conflict Institute. Welcome to the show, Bill. Thank you so much, Catherine. I'm glad to be on. All right, so let's talk about uh, calming upset people with EAR, because uh, all the conflicts that I just mentioned, I think I mentioned every possible conflict that one could have with relatives, colleagues, uh, neighbors, uh, you know, the whole nine yards. So... Uh, how do we do this? It seems that well, the, basically, I, think I said with my first guest uh, that things have seems to have gotten worse in terms of conflict. I mean, we know what all the issues are, and I mentioned them earlier uh, on another show, whether it's vaccination, anti-vaccination, masks, no masks, infrastructure, no infrastructure, all of the, you know, the political stuff. So where do we start? Yeah, well, this is a simple technique, so anyone can use this in almost any conflict situation, and that is what we call an ear statement. So you calm an upset person with E-A-R, that's empathy, attention, and respect, so you think of a short statement that communicates that. So, for example, empathy, you could say, you know, sometimes I feel that way too, or I really hear your frustration." Or, I can understand how hard this is. And then attention, you can say, tell me more. I want to understand your point of view. Or or respect, which is, I really respect your commitment, your work, something about the person uh, that that you do respect. And this, this needs to all be honest and sincere, otherwise the person will will react pretty negatively to that, but try to think of it as the other person rather than yourself, because often we just go into defensiveness, but you can kind of turn yourself around and connect with where they're coming from, not that you're agreeing with them, but that you're acknowledging them with empathy, attention, and or respect. And any one of those three often helps. You can put them all together or just say an empathy statement or just a respect statement or just say, tell me more. I want to understand. Well, what is there a difference between the type of relationship? Let's say it's your partner, children, siblings, family, people that you know really well, that you're intimate with, as opposed to, say, a colleague at work 
or even less connected to someone, let's say you're it's something that happens in a public situation, you don't even know the person, but there's a huge disagreement, uh, whether it's wearing a mask in public or not wearing a mask in public or those kinds of things. So does it work in, yeah. sim- in, diff- yeah, in different contexts? Yes, it's really simple. It's the same kind of idea. So as I wrote in the book, I've got 27 examples. You could say in your statement to a child that, you know, your own child that you've known for seven years or something, uh, to a teenager, to a partner, a spouse, uh, someone you're close to, someone you don't know at all. But you can see, let's say they're worried about something. They're criticizing you, like in the store. They say, you know, you don't understand. And you can say, I can see your frustration. I know this is important to you, even to someone you don't know. So it's really simple, and that's that's what I try to do, is develop simple techniques so that anyone can use them in almost any situation. So it's not... It's not complicated, and you don't have to really make it different. If it's someone, let's say it's your spouse or partner, um, it's it's actually harder sometimes because you assume how they're feeling and what they're going to say. But if you can turn that around and say, hey, honey, I can really see how hard you're trying on this, that really can make a world of difference and calm a conversation. Well, let's take some really specific, you said, what, 27 different kinds of examples in the book, scenarios. Let's talk about each one of those specifically. Sure. So, well, I start in the book with a a mother and a seven-year-old boy, and the boy's friend, they're back to school, and the boy's friend um, has a new best friend. You know, and so suddenly the boy feels shut out of a friendship um, that they had before school closed down. And so the mother's saying, you know, oh, get over it. It'll be okay. You know, you'll always find someone else. And the boy's just still upset. So we change it around and have, if the mother says, wow, you know, I feel that way too sometimes about friends. And that can be really hard. And the boy feels really cared about and and feels like mother connected with what he's feeling. And so he he feels soothed and feels so much better. Um, And it's interesting because I heard the end of the prior uh, interview and talking about repairing relationships and between parents and children. And in a sense... This is part of how you can do that, is connect with what the child is feeling rather than telling the child how they should feel. You know, I can maybe relate to that or find that an easier thing to do for me personally. But what about in public situations? I mean, you know, you read about in the paper every day. I mean, some they have public meetings with with teachers and school boards and you see people, you know, Ripping a mask off of somebody's face, I can, uh, yeah. not somebody, the teacher. And so how do you mitigate the horrors of those kinds of situations? Or to do what you say, calming people with EAR, how would you do it in that kind of a situation? 
Yeah, the key thing is to connect with how the other person's feeling without having to disagree with them. So, for example, let's say you're someone who wears a mask and feels like that's important, and someone else says, I feel that my freedom to not wear a mask is important. You can say, yeah, I respect that. Um, and, and I respect that we can disagree, and we're really on the same team here. We're really on the same planet here, so I really can understand your frustration about this. Um, we may have to disagree, but, you know, I, I respect your rights. Um, I respect your concerns, um, and I know it's hard, it's hard for everyone. Uh, from all points of view, this this thing is something we've never experienced before, and and the thing is to remember we're all going through this together. So either person, and I give an example in the book of two people in a in a, a supermarket coming down the aisle with their carts heading for the cereal section. One has a mask and one doesn't have a mask, and they start out having an argument, and then. I show how it could turn around if either one of them switched to an ear statement. So the person wearing a mask can say, you know, I, I respect your right it's to, to not wear a mask. And then I'm doing it in a situation where there isn't a mandate. And so they say, I respect your right for that. I can feel your frustration. Um, this is a scary thing for all of us in all different ways, in terms of rights, in terms of health, etc., and, you know, I'll back up, you can get your cereal, and then I'll get mine. And then the other person could also shift and say, you know, I know you're worried that, the, that you're going to catch this virus. I'm not as worried about that. Um, but I can understand your fear. It's scary to think about getting sick and maybe even dying. So, and that person says, you know, I can back up and you can get your cereal and then go on their way. So it, I try to emphasize how either person in a conflict could turn it around and form a connection that calms themselves down. Well, given that, I think that what about our Congress who can't seem to be able <laughs> to do that? <laughs> <laughs> how are you going to work or deal with them? Because I think the uh, E-A-R, and this is both sides of the aisle, uh, they need to uh, they need to utilize, uh, I think, that kind of um, behavior or transactions or validating each other's points. Put that in there. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that can be possible. And the thing is, what, one thing that I, I mention in the book is that, especially with political differences, if people can talk one-to-one, then usually people do connect. I give an example of where they gathered uh, 500 people together a couple of years ago with the whole range of political views and had them discuss political issues in small groups and one-to-one. -one. And what happened is in the small groups and one-to-one, people's differences seemed to diminish, that they really weren't that different, and they liked each other. So I think the problem with, with, for example, Congress is when they're grandstanding for the public, they're saying extreme things, but when they're behind closed doors talking one-to-one -one or in a small group, 
they often do get along. And we hear things saying, yeah, you know, I, I respect your point of view, um, even though it's different. But in public, you don't hear them saying that because they're afraid that they'll look weak or something. But the reality is it used to be that Congress, um, you know, the political parties overlapped more. So there were some conservative uh, Democrats and liberal Republicans, and some of them, you know, spoke together on a regular basis. I think it was uh, Teddy Kennedy, Democrat, and Orrin Hatch, Republican, used to have lunch together a lot and planning legislation and such. So it's that, in many ways, getting that one-to-one or small group interaction, and that's really where they're encouraged to do this, and they, they do sometimes. Now they probably have, sometimes they do, and sometimes they do admit it. You'll hear some of the politicians saying, well, you know, he's actually a friend of mine or she's a friend of mine. And, you know, we do see each other socially, even though, as you say, when they're grandstanding and giving their, you know, political rhetoric, it, it doesn't appear that way. Um, so, uh, yeah, I think that right. is, that's, yeah, that is true. There's um, a, there's a point ahead. I can... I, let me make this point here, and that is it's easier to hate somebody at a distance. And so what we need is to have people be, you know, talking more directly. Um, and and that's, it just really does make a huge difference. I know people who are on dating sites who actually, when they give their bios, will say, you know, I, I, I don't want to date a Republican or I, I won't date a Democrat. I mean, that actually, I have a friend who is on several of these dating sites, and, and that is starting to come up frequently. Yeah, and, and it's, it's sad because one of the great things, I think, about human diversity is that we learn from each other. We learn different things from each other. And, and I, it's always interesting when you read stories about couples who are on opposite end of the political state, uh, political spectrum, and they still get along. I think, um, oh, I'm trying to think of their names. There's a Republican um, uh, consultant, a Democratic consultant that are married and have kids, James Carville and Marilyn... Oh, Madeline, something. Anyway, um, and this couple, they consult to their party on the kind of opposite directions, and yet they get along, and apparently they enjoy a relationship that has a lot of spark to it. So uh, it's sad when people have to make that a top priority, that the relationship can't be even more important. I mean, that's a great example, because I think there is this today, particularly, you know, the fear of uh, differences. People are, are, are fearful of people who are different than they are, and yet the differences and the diversity is what makes our country strong. That's why we are strong, um, because of the differences, whatever the differences are. Um, and... That sort of ties into what you're saying and validating people's yeah. differences and accepting the differences and, and seeing the, the, the positive. I mean, everybody has something different to offer. And, and really trying to find out what that is and connecting with that. What's interesting is you're a social worker, and I was actually a social worker before I became a lawyer. And I think social workers really understand social glue. 
that people have to emotionally connect to be able to be really successful together. And I think in many ways, society today needs the help of social workers at the idea of there are ways we can get along and we need to pay more attention. We can't take it for granted anymore. So, Bill, do you think that social media helps to make these connections or has the potential to do that or does the opposite? It really depends because social media does two things. One is it really helps bring together people who already like each other. I think of relatives and friends getting to share photos, things like that. And it's really, I think, strengthened the frequency of contact of families that may be spread far and wide, and now they can communicate every day. Um, so there's that, that positive connection. The negative thing is that people can air their views um, without consequences so that you get people airing really negative views but also getting together with like-minded people who are against other people who are like-minded people. So I think having politics on social media is generally an overall negative because it's really unfiltered. People say things they wouldn't say if they were standing next to somebody. And also there's a lot of research on if you're part of a group that has an opposing point of view to another group, when you talk to your own group members, you become more extreme. And so let's make it simple. Democrats talking to Democrats, Republicans talking to to Republicans become more opposed to each other. And so Facebook and YouTube and all of that uh, really reinforce going to your group, and that really feeds, and I think it's a significant part of today's polarization. It really feeds the negativity towards the other, whoever the other is. So so I think it's been a plus in some ways and a minus in others. If they, if they weren't allowed to talk about politics, <laughs> they probably That's wouldn't have some happen. of the problems today. I know. <laughs> I'm going to be angry. I even suggested that. <laughs> yeah. Never going to happen. Well, I mean, you've been engaged. As you said, you were a social worker. You had your uh, social work degree, and then you went to law school, uh, which is interesting because then you conflict resolution, that's what lawyers are all about. So you decided to change the whole your whole um, profession and... What motivated that change? Well, what's interesting is so for 12 years, I was a child and family therapist, but I volunteered at a mediation center, a community mediation center that was doing conflict resolution between neighbors, uh, small business and consumer, um, police, community member, landlord, tenant, all of those kind of mediation to help resolve those disputes, which in many ways was a social work type of task. But I wanted to make mediation a career, and I realized that lawyers seemed to be really getting into mediation and and being able to get paid for it. And so I fear if I want to make this a paying career, 
then I'm going to go to law school. So I went to law school, and while I was in law school, I realized I really enjoyed the legal process, legal analysis, all of that. So when I got out of law school, I set up a mediation service uh, or office for myself, a law and mediation office, and I would go to family court in the morning and do divorce mediations in the afternoon and did that combination, ended up doing that for 15 years. Then the last approximately 15 years, I've just done mediation. So it's all really conflict resolution, social work, law, and mediation. So mediation is where this really came together for me and where I started to recognize there are some high-conflict people who really don't want to solve conflicts. They want to vent. They want to bully. Um, and that's become my fascination. And calming upset people with ear really began about 15 years ago um, in doing mediations and finding a way to help high-conflict people actually calm down and reach agreements. So I did well, a lot of custody and divorce. Have, we, have like a, we have like a minute left. I could keep on talking okay. to you, but you sounds like you've done it because <laughs> if you have uh, millions of views, people are listening to you. So I just want to calming upset people with EAR, how statements showing empathy, attention, and respect can quickly diffuse a conflict. And we've been talking to the author of that book, Bill Eddy. He's a social worker. He's a mediator. He's a lawyer. So, Bill, um, people to get out and read the book, what website and or websites can we go to? Okay. You can get the book on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, other bookstores. Our website is highconflictinstitute.com. That's www.highconflictinstitute.com. And we have a lot of uh, books, articles, videos, consultation, etc. So, um, and if people want other books like this, we have other methods. Just put Bill Eddy into Amazon and you'll find I've got about 20 books there. Great. Thanks so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Catherine. My pleasure. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 